Writing from Shanghai in 1920, five years before his death, the founding father of the Republic of China, Dr. Sun Yat-sen, wrote a letter in response to correspondence from N.E.B. Ezra, a Jewish scholar, writer, publisher, and activist who lived most of his life in Shanghai, where he founded the Shanghai Zionist Association. In his letter, Dr. Sun said he had read an enclosed copy of Israel Messenger, an English-language Zionist newspaper published in Shanghai from 1904 to 1941. N.E.B. Ezra was editor-in-chief of Israel Messenger for 30 years until his death in 1936. In the letter from Dr. Sun, a copy of which can be seen on our website, the ROC founder wrote that Zionism was, quote, one of the greatest movements of the present time. All lovers of democracy cannot help but support wholeheartedly and welcome with enthusiasm the movement to restore your wonderful and historic nation, which has contributed so much to the civilization of the world and which rightfully deserves an honorable place in the family of nations, end quote. Nationalist, or KMT China, was the first Asian nation to recognize the state of Israel, but relations between the two countries couldn't be cemented as the then-ROC government in Nanjing was teetering on the brink of collapse. Then, when the tides of war shifted, Israel became the first non-communist country to recognize the People's Republic of China, or the PRC. Israel accepted the reality of the PRC a mere 100 days after Mao proclaimed it in Tiananmen Square. This de jure recognition, however, did not lead to immediate ties. In fact, it wasn't until 1992 that Israel and the PRC established official diplomatic relations. So, what happened to contacts between Israel and the ROC, which today is better known as Taiwan? With the kind assistance of Israel's Economic and Cultural Office in Taipei, which, like many other such economic or trade offices, serves as something just shy of an embassy, Formosa Files was fortunate to make contact with the Hebrew University of Jerusalem's Meron Medzini, Professor Emeritus in the Department of Asian Studies. Dr. Medzini, now 91 years old, has had a front-row seat to history, you might say, watching his nation, the PRC, and the ROC evolve over the decades, and he has a remarkably better memory than yours truly. In mid-January 2024, I spoke to Professor Medzini from his home in Jerusalem via an internet call, and it was a fascinating conversation. The Taiwan History Podcast, Formosa Files, is made possible through the generous sponsorship of the Frank C. Chen Foundation. Formosa Files. I've been to Taiwan, I think, at least uh, nine, ten or nine or ten times. I went to Taiwan first time 54 years ago. And my first visit to Taiwan took place in May 1970, 7-0. I was then director of the Israel government press office, which was the equivalent to the GIO, government information office in Taiwan. I was invited to explain, to tell my opposite numbers in Taiwan, how Israel deals with the foreign media. This is 1970, Israel had a foreign press corps, I think of about 300 foreign journalists, radio, television, print media, a huge increase from pre-Six-Day War, it was about 50. And they wanted to know how do we deal with them, what do we show them, are there any limitations, restrictions, censorship, how can you control? And uh, they kept me there for 10 days, including a very nice visit to Kemoi, one day visit to Kemoi, where they gave me an escort officer who was an elderly major, and he didn't speak a word of English, and I don't speak Chinese. And uh, there arose a major problem, and then I asked the major through an interpreter, 
how old are you? He said, I'm 60. So I said to him, in that case, Nihongo Hanashimash, let's speak in Japanese. And he said to me, where do you know Japanese? I said, I have a PhD from Harvard in, uh, it's called East Asian Languages and Civilizations. And we chatted away in the Japanese. <laughs> that was my experience on uh, during one day in Kimoi. The Taiwan government gave you an award not long ago, uh, a friendship award of some kind, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. That's a friend of the foreign minister. I suppose they did this for a number of reasons. Chief among them is the fact that I produced the only book in Hebrew on Taiwan. It's called Taiwan History, Society and Politics. And this was done at the instigation of a former uh, Ambassador Paul Chang, who was uh, the representative of Taiwan to Israel until about uh, two or three years ago. And we became very good friends. And he, he noted that uh, there is nothing in Hebrew about uh, Taiwan. And he proposed that I do it, which I gladly did. And I spent about three weeks at NCCU, basically comparing notes with some of the academics there. And the book was produced, and I think uh, it went into a second printing. And it now serves as the only textbook in Hebrew for courses taught on Taiwan by at least one as a former student of mine at the uh, Hebrew University and Tel Aviv University. The professor noted that Taiwan and Israel share a few obvious things in common, a dependence on U.S. military aid or defense commitments, and both have hostile neighbors. But Mazzini pointed out that at least the PRC is not calling for the extermination of the people of Taiwan, unlike what is the case in many of Israel's unfriendly neighbors. He also noted a few other similarities. Basically, the absence of natural resources in both countries, hmm. which meant an enormous reliance in focusing on developing the human capital. And therefore, both countries realized that they would have to import food, fuel, raw materials, transform them into finished products and sell them abroad. In other words, export-oriented uh, economies. There's another similarity, and that is both countries started out under martial law, one party, basically a military authoritarian uh, country, which yes. I remember during my first visit. Uh, John Kaishek was still president, and his son was vice president, and the country was essentially under martial law. And I've seen the transformation to a working democracy. Another similarity, in the early years, both of Israel and Taiwan guided economy. In many respects, the government uh, led in economic development. In Israel, too, we had a semi-socialist government or rather a semi-socialist uh, ideology that was the ideology of the ruling party for many years until 1977. Now, of course, it's a mixed economy. The government still looks after many, many areas in the livelihood of uh, people. Government is responsible in both countries to provide uh, medical assistance, education, housing, employment, uh, welfare, and the, both governments are very much involved in, uh, in offering these services to the people. Of course, we also have small, relatively small armies. And even though the, you are a member of the UN, 
it isn't like it's super smooth sailing for you there all the time. No, never, never. We have, we've had relatively smooth sailing until about 1951. Mm -hmm. The last time the UN adopted any pro-Israel resolution, certainly Security Council, was September 1, 1951. That had to do with freedom of navigation through the Suez Canal. See, both Taiwan and Israel are very sensitive to the issue of freedom of navigation. True, we have been members of the UN since 1949. The first Asian nation that recognized Israel, incidentally, was nationalist China. Yes. In March 1949, in exchange of letters between the Israeli ambassador to the UN, Abba Iban, and the Chinese ambassador to uh, the UN, at the time still the Nanjing government, his name was uh, Tim Fu Chiang, and, but it, it never advanced into uh, really anything uh, concrete because the uh, nationalists had to withdraw at the end of that year to uh, Taiwan. So China has the uh, historic record of being the first Asian country to recognize uh, Israel. Let me ask you about the People's Republic of China. Israel was also yes. very fast to recognize the People's Republic of China. I think they did it within 100 days of the communist takeover. And I wonder if you have any thoughts on this. Was this perhaps a historical mistake? I know I read that the person in Shanghai at the time used a very pragmatic way of looking at it and said, well, they are the ones in charge, so that's how it is. But then if you look at history, many of these so-called communist groups that China has supported, they went to more of your enemies. So any thoughts on that? Well, I'll tell you, uh, I, I, I remember very well the argument at the time. You see, I'm lucky, maybe unlucky, I'm 91 years old, and I still have a good memory. Amazing. Go back to 1950. Israel was among the first to recognize the People's Republic of China. I think we did this either on January 8th or 9th, 1950. And the reasons for that were as follows. First of all, we then pursued a neutral policy. In other words, we tried to stay away from either the Soviet Union or the United States at the height of the Cold War. All this lasted until the outbreak of the Korean War. Secondly, the Soviet Union helped Israel during its War of Independence, mainly by permitting Czechoslovakia to sell Israel weapons, the only country that uh, agreed to do so. And we fought the War of Independence basically with Czech arms, which included uh, rifles and light machine guns and heavy machine guns, and even airplanes which the Czech munitions plants produced basically for the German army during the Second World War. The Russians, therefore, were quite helpful. They were the third country to recognize Israel after the United States. I think Guatemala was number two. And we felt that um, we looked at reality. Mm. And therefore, the, the, the policy essentially was to pursue neutrality. We were recognized almost immediately also by the Eastern European countries. The first Israeli ambassador to present his credentials was in Prague, and then in Warsaw, and then in Bucharest, and then in Moscow. 
So Eastern Europe at the time was seen in Israel as friendly uh, nations. Soviet Union turned against Israel around 1954. But before that, uh, fairly decent relations. There was another uh, reason. That is, uh, you mentioned it before, reality. Look, we were subjected to the same problem when Israel became an uh, independent country. A number of countries did not want to recognize Israel for a variety of reasons. Obviously, Arab countries, Muslim countries. And it took Israel a lot of convincing to bring about a growing number of recognition. There's still several thousands of Jews who lived in China at the time, and we wanted to get them out, mostly to Israel. The majority were in Shanghai. And you should be aware of the fact that in the Second World War, there were 27,000 Jews in Shanghai. Mm -hmm. uh, many of them lived in uh, semi-ghetto. It was basically an open ghetto in Hongqiu, and this we remembered. And we wanted to get them out. In fact, we had a, appointed a consul who worked in Shanghai and uh, with the full awareness of the nationalist government at the time in order to enable the uh, immigration, immigration to Israel of quite a few thousands of, uh, of Jews. So all these things together led to recognition. During the uh, Korean War, Israel had to declare on which side are you going to be? And it declared for the United States and ended its policy of neutrality. Mm. Uh, there were some possibilities of ties with the mainland in late 54 and early 55. Uh, there is a speech by John Lai, I forget to which body in, in China, in which he mentions the possibility of diplomatic relations between China and Israel. China and Afghanistan. But this never came into fruition, partly because China discovered the Arab Middle East and turned against Israel already in the Bandung Conference of Non-Aligned Nations in April 1955. And between then and around the late 70s, mainland China was a hostile government to Israel it was among the first to recognize the Palestine Liberation Organization, gave them a status of an embassy in Beijing. Hmm. Uh, Yasser Arafat was a frequent visitor to uh, China. I was once in Beijing and I was shown the Peace Hotel and said, this is where Yasser Arafat liked to stay. Things began to change after the death of Mao under Deng Xiaoping, mostly with his uh, reform policy, which included, among other things, reforming the Chinese army, the People Liberation Army. And somehow they needed to refurbish the guns on top of their tanks. The tanks were Russian-made, T-54s and T-72s. And the story, the legend is that they asked Henry Kissinger, who was obviously a well-respected personality. In fact, his last overseas trip before he died was to Beijing. They said, who knows anything about uh, guns mounted on tanks made by the Russians? He said, go to Israel. And they said, why should we go to Israel? He said, because they've got them. How did they get them? They captured them. When did they capture them? In the 1956 war, in the 1967 Six-Day War, and in the Yom Kippur War. 
and somehow an arrangement was made and Israel helped them refurbish the guns on the tanks. And this started a military relationship that lasted until around the year 2000. Then Israel had a problem. The moment Israel decides to enter into military arrangements with the mainland, specifically to help them refurbish the artillery on the tanks, on the guns on the tanks, Israel had to tread very carefully with Taiwan. And it took until 1993 before Taiwan and Israel agreed on the opening of TECO, the Taiwan Economic and Cultural Offices in Tel Aviv, in Israel, and in Taipei. Taiwan had a representative in Israel from 1970, but uh, it was it was not made public. And later on, obviously, it became it has a status just below status of an embassy. The government of Taiwan wisely realized that it can make an impact in cultural and educational and academic uh, spheres. Uh, it provided scholarships for Israelis to study Chinese, Chinese culture, religion, uh, history, uh, at the time when Israelis could not go to the mainland to uh, study. And many of our uh, sinologists uh, worked in Taiwan at a given time. So if you were able to go back in time and redo this again, do you think that Israel made the right choice in doing this? Yes, absolutely. Given the, uh, the, the atmosphere and the international reality of 1950, it made the absolutely the right decision. Curiously enough, the one who pushed very much for recognition was the founding father of Israel, Ben-Gurion, who had a great deal of interest in, uh, in China and India especially, and he advocated for years. In fact, he corresponded with Kennedy at some point. He said, you've got to bring China back to the family of nations, otherwise mm. it won't work. On the issue of Taiwan's representation at the UN, most of the time we abstained. As you may remember, every year, the beginning of the General Assembly, the issue of the who represents China came up. Yes. And uh, America asked Israel usually come and vote with us, which Israel did. Until Kissinger visited China, and of course the entire picture changed completely, and then Israel voted in favor of expelling Taiwan and admitting People's Republic of China. Diplomatic relations between Israel and Beijing established only in 1992, long after uh, we signed the peace treaty with Egypt and we were talking to the Jordanians uh, even before the Oslo process uh, began. So all in all, I think we made the, uh, the right decision knowing fully well that uh, government in Taiwan would be very annoyed and very upset, and they were, mm -hmm. until at some point they came to us for two things. The first, in 1965, I think, they invited the professor David Ernst Bergman, who until then was head of the Israel Atomic Energy Commission to visit Taiwan. He came twice. 
and he even met Chiang Kai-shek and senior people, and they probably asked him about Israel's nuclear activities. By then, it was uh, it became known from local sources and foreign sources that Israel had built a nuclear station, nuclear reactor in a place called Dimona in the Negev. It was built by the French, a French company. Uh, Israel and France signed an agreement whereby French company will build a nuclear reactor for Israel. Initially, it was a secret. However, the American discovered this already at the tail end of the Eisenhower administration and queried Israel, what, what are you doing there? And Ben-Gurion had to announce to the Knesset, indeed, Israel was building a nuclear reactor for peaceful purposes and the, mainly to produce uh, power in order to irrigate, to create water in order to irrigate the southern part of Israel called the Negev, which accounts for about 60% of our territory. The Americans then insisted on on-site visits by American inspectors, which Israel allowed. In 1965, Israel and America signed an agreement whereby Americans would supply Israel with arms. Until then, the major supplier of arms to Israel was France. The French were prepared to continue, but it was obvious that at some point France would uh, withdraw from the understanding that we had. In fact, de Gaulle, when he became president, one of the first orders he gave was to stop all cooperation between Israel and France in anything that had to do with nuclear power. And therefore, the agreement was they would build and hand over to the Israelis, and that's it, no further cooperation. So Bergman was invited to Taipei, probably to see if Israel could be of any help. Uh, there were two visits. There was basically no progress. I suspect because of American pressure on both countries. Mm on Israel to stay away from all this, and on Taiwan also, don't, don't get involved in this sort of thing. You'd be interested to hear there's another country that was interested in Israeli nuclear technology, believe it or not, and that was Iran, but mm. it was under the Shah, with whom we had a very, very close relationship until, until the collapse of, of the monarchy in, uh, in Iran in 70, 78, 79. Now, at the same time, Taiwan was interested in purchasing Israeli weapons. To the best of my knowledge, we did sell mostly C2C and the C2 ground missile called Gabriel, which we produced in Israel at the time. The sales of weapons to Taiwan, I think, were ended just about the time we entered into, we recognized and established diplomatic relations with the mainland in 1992. As far as I know, the policy is not to provide uh, Taiwan with, with arms. Do you agree that the government in China is a totalitarian state that does not respect democracy? And if so, in the event of some sort of uh, conflict, what, where would Israel come down? On, on, on what side? Support of uh, Taiwan's democracy? On the American side. On, the, on Taiwan's democracy and the American side, uh, China has become 
in certain respects hostile to Israel, not only UN voting, but it made the deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia. It is now very close to Iran. Uh, and Iran is a mortal enemy of Israel. Iran calls for the physical extermination, elimination of Israel, not once a day, but three times a day. Mm -hmm. And therefore, uh, if at some point we had, uh, we thought we had very good working relations with China, strategic uh, agreements were signed by Prime Minister Netanyahu and uh, Xi Jinping. We had a visit of a Chinese president here in 2000. And now in the last few, uh, I would say two, three years, and specifically since the war in Gaza started, uh, China has been quite hostile to Israel in terms of its propaganda, not to mention UN voting and public statements which, uh, of course, doesn't help uh, matters at all. Uh, Taiwan, to the best of my knowledge, has shown a great deal of understanding uh, of the uh, quandary that Israel faces and uh, the public expressions and private expressions were very, very friendly towards Israel, which is something that we appreciate because at the moment Israel does not find itself surrounded with a great deal of love or understanding of what is, uh, what's happening on the contrary. So uh, I would say that the war in Gaza has led many Israelis to stop and wonder where, uh, where do we stand on this uh, issue. We are fully aware that, uh, and this is one of my, what interested me, your last elections in Taiwan to the presidency and, and the uh, legislature uh, took place under overt Chinese threats. Yes. China basically indicated who they wanted to win. And the people of Taiwan, irrespective, uh, knowing what the dangers they could face, decided we're going to go ahead and support a party that its major platform is continued democracy in uh, in Taiwan. And this is something that I can understand, something that I can respect. Uh, Taiwan happens to be one of very few countries where there's no anti-Semitism. And there has never been, for one very good reason, Jews did not live in Taiwan until 1945 because the Japanese, uh, Taiwan being a Japanese colony, the Japanese prevented foreigners from settling in its two major colonies, Taiwan and uh, Korea. The first Jews to arrive in Taiwan were uh, soldiers in the American army. And there was a well-known American Jew, Wolf Ladizhinsky, who was sent to Taiwan, or was invited to Taiwan by the Taiwanese government to advise on agricultural, on rural reform. And he basically suggested many, many reforms, especially in terms of tenancy and so on, because uh, as you know, Taiwan essentially was an uh, agrarian uh, country. Mm. Agriculture was the mainstay, not industry. And therefore, he earned a, a fairly good name in uh, Taiwan. But there has never been, and uh, to best of my knowledge, none at the moment of anti-Semitism 
in China, you did not have anti-Semitism. In fact, you had philo-Semitism, which in some respects can be compared to anti-Semitism. Uh, example, in recent years, at least 20 books appeared in on the mainland about Jews. Why are they so clever? And why are they so rich? And why are they so influential? And what is the secret of their, of their success? Many, many books. Uh, you had something similar in Japan in the 1980s, especially a man called um, uh, Uno, Masami Uno, who wrote a book called, If You Understand the Jews, You Understand the World. Then another book, if you understand the Jews, you understand Japan. I don't know how, but this is what he wrote. <laughs> uh, there was some fallback of anti-Semitism, irrespective of the fact that during the Second World War, there were about 40,000 Jews who lived under Japanese occupation, and virtually every one of them survived, unlike the Jews of Europe, who were exterminated. In Taiwan, there's never been any reluctance to discuss the Holocaust. What I'm hoping to see, the introduction to Taiwanese universities of at least one, two courses dealing with modern Israel. I know that mm. they're teaching Judaism as part of religious studies, and Israel is being taught as part of the Middle East. Uh, I would very much like to see the establishment of Israel study centers. It one or two of your major universities because your universities, I know the academic life in Taiwan, are very highly considered and are top-notch. And some of the people we know because they come here are extremely well, extremely knowledgeable and curious and interested. So all in all, we share many common things. Uh, good things and common threats. And we all believe that the current system under which we are governed, probably the best system for the future of both people. Again, thank you so much for being on Formosa Files. I appreciate it. All the best.